unmute my microphone, sorry about that. When Andrew first saw Jesus and became, began to become acquainted with him or heard him teach, Scripture says that he went and found his brother Simon Peter, and when he did that, he uh, uh, came to Simon Peter and he said words like this. They're on the screen there. At some point they will be on the screen there. They were there earlier. He said this, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Thank you. We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. We have found the one who is anointed, which means, and he said the Greek word for anointed, Christos. We have found him. And as if you were here this morning, you know we began a little short little journey we're going to take through uh, Scripture and uh, just wrestle with uh, what does it mean to say Jesus is the Messiah? He's the anointed one. And uh, uh, discover uh, who it is that we are, first of all, giving our allegiance to and who it is that we should be proclaiming as we share with others. As Chris alluded to, uh, it fits in very well because uh, there's nothing else that we have to do uh, at a time of communion than to declare who Jesus the Messiah is, that he is the anointed one, the one that God sent for a purpose and we're proclaiming or declaring that that purpose was accomplished in us, that we have recognized that, that uh, we have accepted that. And then, of course, uh, as we're going to find out tonight and as we even touched on this morning, that has implications for us, right? We don't, we don't just say, thank you, Jesus, for coming, being sent for us. This morning we recognize that Jesus is in that way telling us that we ourselves are sent. By the way, there's that word, Jesus, Messiah. We recognize this morning that he was sent. Uh, you know, Chris referred to the fact that Jesus sat down on the night that he was betrayed, and he, he ate this meal uh, with his uh, followers, and he broke bread with them, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he uh, thanked the Lord for the cup, and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, in that very instance, we also see Jesus' acknowledgement that he was sent, Right? That he came for a reason. There was intentionality there. No one else sits down on the night that they know they're going to be betrayed and know they're going to uh, start the, this, this journey, this harrowing journey of being beaten and being uh, lied about and being uh, uh, tortured and being killed. No one starts that journey by sitting down with his friends and saying, hey, let me tell you in my own way what's going to happen over the next uh, couple of hours, next number of hours, unless you know that you're sent. I had a few good conversations with members of you after uh, the church today, after service this morning, and just that recognition that it is exactly when we are aware of being sent that we are willing to endure what Christ asks us to endure. Without an awareness of being sent, we won't do it because we're not, uh, we're not, uh, we're not okay with that. Well, tonight, again, you probably, it's no secret, I've, I've kind of changed the coloring of the words so they don't jump out, but uh, the subject for tonight is the fact that, that Jesus, the anointed one, was rejected. And I'm going to tell you, uh, if you were a Jewish person, then you would have uh, agreed fully with me this morning in the teaching that the Messiah was sent to us by God. That would have been not a problem, not a stretch for you to acknowledge, and it shouldn't be for us as believers either. However, it is this point, I think, that uh, brought a lot of contention about when Jesus was walking on the earth. Because very few people in Jewish circles acknowledged that the Messiah, the anointed one, would be rejected. And it makes human sense, right? By our own logic, we would think the same thing. How could God, the creator of the universe, come into his creation and be rejected by it? How could that be? How would he ever allow that? Just think about that for a moment. 
if you were, by some stretch of imagination, to create an entire universe of functioning people and animals and systems that all were connected and worked, and it was beautiful, and you were to come enter into that system yourself, would you allow those beings which you created to reject you? Or would you, as most of us would do in our human flesh, would you scream and kick and shout until they realized that you were the one who made them, right? Don't you see? I'm the one that gave you life. And yet, tonight, we're going to explore this subject that I think is, is key to understanding the anointing, the Messiahship of Jesus Christ, that he was rejected. And it will instruct us about Jesus, but as we found out this morning, it will also give us instruction about ourselves. Don't know if you like that part of it or not, but it will give us instruction about ourselves. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, to kind of introduce us before we go through and read those sections. If you were here this morning, you kind of know where we're going to head. Hebrews 13, 12 says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. There's just a statement made by the writer of Hebrews that uh, is going to begin us on our journey tonight. Jesus suffered outside the gate. That's his way of referring to the rejection of Jesus Christ. This harkens back again to Old Testament Jewish way of life. If you read through the book of Leviticus, you will be finding many, many instances where God is instructing him on how to uh, live cleanly, pure lives before him. And often when there is any impurity found, what was the result? How was it solved? What did you have to do? What's that? You had to be separated from everyone else. Uh, they had, that's why they had things called leper colonies. That's why they had anybody who was touched a dead body had to be separated from everything else. Anything else that touched something dead had to be separated from everything else through this period of time. And the writer of Hebrews is making this point. This is how we see the rejection of Jesus Christ. He suffered outside the gate. Friends, it's no accident. God is the, God is the, he, he orchestrates things down to the most finite of details. It's no accident that Jesus took his cross and stumbled, and eventually Simon or Cyrene took it, and stumbled outside the city of Jerusalem up under the hill of the skull known as Golgotha. It would never have happened inside. Multiple reasons, but here's one of them, because it's part of the rejection of Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do tonight, you know where this is headed, so you're going to just be ready to jump right in. What I'd like to do tonight is go back and revisit those exact same passages we read this morning, and we'll read through them again, and it won't hurt you to hear them a second time. Little hint, by the way, if you come back next Sunday, you're going to hear them a third time, so if no one shows up, I know why. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 52. Tonight, however, as we look at these verses, I don't uh, want to have us so much look at how Jesus was sent to us. I want us to see the rejection of Jesus. Now, this is probably going to be a whole lot easier than be, be the, the whole idea of being sent. This is, sort of jumps off the page. Let's read again, Isaiah chapter 52. Just listen to these words. Follow along in your own Bibles, please. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful. How beautiful. Just it's hang, let that word hang in your mind, by the way, as you're going to read some of the things we're going to read in 53. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Again, notice how this is setting up this whole uh, almost an antithesis of how can God be rejected? 
when you start off with this kind of language. Beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. To know, to announce that God reigns. And when you declare that God reigns, you would never expect that he will be rejected. Verse 8. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight, or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant, and he begins to refer to the Messiah, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations." He's connecting. As many were astonished at you, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation. Who considered that he was cut off. Out of the land of the living. Stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. I don't think I have to do a whole lot of prompting in a text like that tonight with what we did this morning. But I think it's good for us. We're here to celebrate what Jesus did for us. And celebration seems to fly in the face of the words that just came off the pages to us. But let's talk about it. How and where do you see rejection in these verses? How do we know the Messiah, the anointed one, was rejected? It says it, right? It literally says it. He was despised and rejected 
by men. But how else? There's a whole lot more in that text. How else do we know that Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one from God, was rejected? He was killed as a sheep. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Did you connect, by the way, that verse that I read tonight with what you now know we're going to read later on in Revelation chapter 5 when John sees what looks like a lamb that was slain that's brought out and they declare their prayer. Did you connect those two? You should. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was treated like a criminal. They said they put him to death even though there was no violence, there was no deceit found in him. He was treated like a criminal. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. How many of you like being oppressed? How many of you enjoy affliction? What does it make you feel when you're oppressed and afflicted? I suggest for most of us it makes us feel rejection. Might make us feel other things too. What other words jump out to you? Look at that. You know how often, well, how do you see Jesus in your mind's eye? Like, why do you picture Jesus when you, and how many times do we catch ourselves thinking, oh, if we would have been alive, would have walked with Jesus, and he was this, and I don't know what he, I mean, other than what we read in the Gospels, but we, we often, I think, visualize him as this, this kind, gentle, sweet, handsome, look at all the pictures we paint of him, right? How do we work that into the words that Jeff just reminded us that the prophet Isaiah said about him? He was marred. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should, des uh, should desire him. How do you reconcile the king of the universe being a man who was acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows? How do you not esteem the one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were made? And yet that's exactly what it says. And that's exactly what we read in the Gospels, isn't it? If we'll be honest, that's exactly what happens in our lives sometimes, isn't it? The creator of the universe despised and rejected, acquainted with sorrow because of my attitudes and my actions and things I do. Anyone else have any other words you want to bring out? Speak of the rejection of Jesus. Yeah. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. In the ESV that reads, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Crush him. What did Jesus cry out when he was hanging on the cross? Now, he said a number of things, but what was one stark thing that I think probably all of us think? What did Jesus cry out when he was on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are those not words of rejection? Read Psalm 22, I think it is, and you'll see a depiction of a crucifixion long before crucifixion ever took place. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, we, we can't read this, right, and, and, and apply this to some ancient people back there who did all these nasty things to Jesus, right? Remember, Isaiah is writing this long before Jesus is ever on the scene, and he's including everyone at that point, and he was certainly including those people there that day, but he's also including all of us who are still around. All of us, we have all, we have all like sheep, gone astray and turned our own way. You know, turning away is a form of rejection, right? Isn't that be true? If I would invite one of you to stand up here and have a conversation with me and I would turn away, what would that indicate? I'm rejecting. I'm rejecting. So when it says that we have all turned away, that's a rejection. It's not hard. It's not hard in these verses, is it? Isn't it a wonder? Do you ever find yourself wondering how could the Jewish people have missed this part of the Messiah, the anointed one. I suggest to you it's probably because of the same distaste they had for what we have for suffering and for things not going how we want them to go and the same way that we'd like to hope and pretend that there's no rough waters in our paths but only glory, only good things. Because when I believe that, this goes back a couple of weeks to my message about things that we believe wrongly about God, but when I believe that God in his great love for us will not allow any of those things to happen, then I would believe the same thing about the Messiah, that God in his great love would not ever do those things to his son whom he loves. I think it says here, right, it was God's desire, his will. It's what he wanted. That's, that was part of the sentness of Jesus is what God was accomplishing. Well, let's keep moving. We want to finish off or uh, finish more of these scriptures. Again, I want to go now to the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of John. Read the same text that we read this morning. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. See if I can keep you in, in exercise. Why don't you stand today? I didn't have you stand for this text this morning, so I'm going to have you stand tonight to read this part of the Bible. This is again now John's reflection of the coming of Jesus and the sentness of Jesus, and we're going to find out if we can find some ways that Jesus... Uh, is rejected just from these verses here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, verse 9 says, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. You may be seated again. Thank the Lord for his gospel. 
John, excuse me, proclaiming the beginning of that gospel. Tell me, church, where do you see rejection? Where do, you, where do we learn from these verses that Jesus, our Messiah, was a Messiah that was rejected? Very good. Doesn't take us very long, right? He came into the world, but the world, even though it was made through him, did not know him, did not recognize him. Then it takes it a step further, for he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Friends, I tell you the same thing I told you a little bit earlier, just a little slightly different angle. Rather than wasting our time or spending our time wondering how it could be that the Jews, when, God, when Jesus came to them, when God sent Jesus to them, how it was that the Jews missed his appearing, I would invite us to consider in sincerity and honesty the number of times that Jesus has come to us and we either did not know him or we did not receive him. I suggest to us we do it all the time when we tell God we have other things we'd like to do, when there's other ways we'd like to spend our time. When there's other things more important than the things of God. When there's times he comes and pushes a bit and wants us to grow in our walk with him and we say, I'd rather read this book or play this game or spend time watching this or go play that or do something else or hang out with my friends or veg or whatever or work or whatever else, pick, pick whatever it is. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. You see, we can say that. that. That verse refers to the Jewish people. He came to, but we can say that about all of us, right? Because all of us belong to Jesus. Because if we are faithful with the first part of that word, uh, verses, the first part of that section is that everything was made through him. So if God created everything, if everything was made through Jesus, then he owns everything, right? It's his. We understand that principle. We belong to him. Anything else you want to say from that text? That's the clearest instance of rejection in that text. Let's keep on moving. Let's flip over to John this time, let's go to John chapter 12, verse 23. Again, I want to hear from Jesus himself. I want to allow his words to ring true in our heads. And I'm doing this, uh, again, you, I, you heard me say it this morning. I'll just say it again tonight. I'm doing this for a reason. I, 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 could, have picked lots of, I could have picked lots of texts that, that we could have talked about the Messiah. I intentionally picked an Old Testament passage that looks forward. I intentionally picked the beginnings of the gospel. I intentionally picked Jesus' own words. I intentionally picked a section from the end. Because I want us to see how all of Scripture supports these things that I'm telling you, that Jesus was sent to us, was rejected by us, and as we're going to talk about next week, was exalted. John chapter 12, starting verse 23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, it says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, 
The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Typical Jesus answer, by the way. He doesn't just say, yes, I am him. He continues to uh, leave it veiled to those who will not want to see and uh, leave it uh, an option to, to discover who Jesus is to those who want to pursue. But tell me, brothers and sisters, where do we see rejection in these verses? Where does we find that Jesus himself not only was aware that he was sent to us, but that he was rejected when he came? Somebody said verse 27. What does verse 27 say? Okay, so the same verse we talked about this morning that indicates his sentness also indicates that there's trouble, right? He's troubled by this. This isn't going to be good. I don't think he would say that if it was, you know, the time came for him to be made king in front of everyone and be glorified and his kingdom would be received and everyone would bow before him. I don't think he would be saying that, right? He wouldn't say my soul is troubled. So there's trouble. He's recognizing that there's a tendency or a temptation to try to be saved from that. Somebody else started saying something. I don't know if it's the same verse or not. So what, what else do you see? Okay, he said, the Son of Man will be lifted up, and he signified what type of death he was going to die. So again, that's a rejection, right? I, I would submit to us, that's not a stretch for imaginations, right? That if someone was going to hang you on a cross to kill you, you'd probably feel a little rejected, right? A little tongue-in-cheek, because we all know it's true. Somebody else said something over here. Verse 24, I think, is what I heard. Again, he's indicating some things. Now look again how that flies in the face. Look at the very first, very first verse I read. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what do you think most of them thought immediately was going to be about to happen? King Jesus is here. And the very next words out of his mouth, I'm going to tell you, I'm really going to make sure you hear this, that unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Notice again the overlay between Isaiah 53 that I read to you earlier. We should start seeing these things connect together, right? It says that though because he was crushed, because he was pierced, because he uh, took on our iniquities and our transgressions, out of him came many offspring, right? Use the exact same language. Jesus just said, if I, if I don't die, this is what he's saying to them. If I don't die, I'm going to remain by myself. But if I die, then there will be many that come out of that. But he's talking about rejection. Again, you can't talk about death and not talk about rejection, or at least feeling that way. Anything else? Okay. So talk a little bit more about that, Joe. Why does that speak rejection to you? Okay. There's really interesting uh, stuff happening here, right? Again, he's, everything is happening. There's sort of like this, this two-directional thing going on, right? As we begin to understand who Jesus is and we begin to see his power, we also begin to unmistakably see that he laid his power down so often and humbled himself. Again, Okay, very interesting. I hadn't even thought about that one, Albert, and that's, that's spot on. They don't know who's talking, right? 
when God spoke, they didn't know who it was. Now, maybe that was by intention. You can make an argument that that's what God intended. But I submit to you, if you couple that with John chapter 1 that we just read, and it says that when he came, they didn't know him. They didn't know God. They had rejected God already. So, so Jesus didn't need the encouragement, right? Jesus didn't, know, didn't need to know that, that he's been glorified or that God is going to glorify himself again. But it was for those listening's sake. Again, we see this, this grand picture unfolding of the rejection that's happening, but out of that rejection, what the result of that's going to be, which of course is what we celebrate tonight, right? Out of the rejection of Jesus Christ, the result of that is, as we talked about here, bearing much fruit, bringing much offspring. Let's go to one more uh, text here this, tonight. Go to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 5. We may not spend a whole lot of time with this, but again, I want to read this text for us. I want us to be able to connect things together. I want us to see this scripture from beginning to end, pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, and pointing to similar themes about that Jesus. We saw in here how he was um, sent, uh, just a bit of that. Let's see if we find anything that uh, talks about or speaks of his rejection, which is going to be a little more difficult to find in this text because we're at the end, which means uh, there's not a lot of rejection happening in this, this text. But let's read it. John says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, John says, I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. In this amazing scene of adoration, of declaring the worthiness of Jesus Christ, can you find evidence of the rejection of the Messiah? Verse 9. What does it say that the king, what, what does it say that the king was slain? 
right? In every other human kingdom, when the king is slain, what, what's, what's the result? What's the end? That's the end of his kingdom, right? That's the end of his kingdom. You're done. Not so with this king. But he was slain. Blood flowed. We're celebrating that tonight, friends. We're focusing on the fact that his blood flowed for us. We are in some ways trying to paint the picture of this epic scene that's coming someday. I, I tell you, we're, we're going to do a we're going to do a pretty shabby job of it. As much celebration as we can throw into this, we're going to do a pretty shabby job of it. But it is what we're trying to do. What else do you see? Of course, we see the, uh, him, uh, the fact that he was slain. That same word slain is used in verse 12, right? Let's back up a little bit. Again, picture the very first scene as John is seeing this, as he's weeping because no one is worthy to open the scroll. And then he hears this, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who is the greatest conquering king. He established peace for the people of Israel. And that lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. And you might expect that when John swiveled his head and saw this lion of the tribe of Judah, what do you think he thought he was going to see? And what does he see? <laughs> what does he see? He sees a lamb that had been slain. I, have you ever stopped to think, what, what does a lamb that had been slain look like? I mean, it's still moving, right? It's still living. But what does it mean to say then that it looked like it had been slain? I'm sure you think of power and might when you think of lambs, right? Right? I'm sure you think of conquering kings when you see lambs. No. Once again, we find this going on, right? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and yet he looks like a lamb. He's the king who they're declaring is worth this, but yet he was slain. He's the one to whom the good news is preached, and yet he was rejected and despised and, and, and disfigured and had nothing about him that attracted people to him. This is why I think one of the central pieces of us understanding the Messiahship, the anointing of Jesus Christ, and what we are proclaiming to people, what we have to ourselves receive is the fact that Jesus, God's anointed one, was rejected. It flies in the face of everything we want to understand about power and about being in charge and control and being mighty and being lifted up. And I could point you to... Dozens of verses where Jesus said those exact words tonight, if you want me to go there. You want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be Lord, you have to serve, you have to be servant of all. All of those. I submit to you, it is the thing, among some other things, but it is the thing that makes the gospel of Jesus Christ as revolutionary as it is. No other king, no other Religion, if I can say it this way, that has a God comes in this kind of package with this kind of way of doing things. It's why I think if we are to accept and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to accept along with it the idea that he was rejected. He humbled himself and internalize the fact that that means we have to now take up some of these same priorities. Shall we read again, friends? 
Should we do this again? Philippians chapter two. You know these words. You probably already knew they were coming. Maybe you don't want to hear them. I'm sorry, I'm going to read them for you. Philippians chapter two, verse five. Have this mind, I remind you, it's the mind of Christ that we've been talking. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto, did not consider his treasure or his prize that he was gonna grab for himself, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We talked, this theme is, uh, there's no new theme I have to tease out of here. The rejection of Jesus Christ is evident. He was God and he humbled himself and took on the form of man and became obedient even past that to the point of death. That's rejection. Those whom he created and gave life to put him to death. That's what the, reader, uh, the writers of, uh, that's what the apostles in the book of Acts said. They looked at people and said, you killed the author of life. As if, I don't even understand how that's possible. But they did. It wasn't possible, right? Because the grave couldn't hold him. But they put him to death. I read these verses for the unmistakable, unescapable truth that's in the first part, just like I did this morning. We are to have this same mindset in us. You know, it might sound a lot different if I were to declare to you of the glory and power of Jesus and when he came, how he vanquished every foe and reigned triumphant and took power into his kingdom. And then I'd say, and we are supposed to have the same. And we'd go, yeah, right? It sounds a lot different when I talk about the fact that the king of the universe came and was rejected by his creation and was killed and was marred and was disfigured and suffered tremendously. And then I tell you, hey, we should have the same mindset. We should see ourselves the same way. We should recognize that true power is in humility and in service to others and in laying down our lives for others. We should have the same mindset that says, even though I think I deserve this, I will not hang on to that and consider it something to be grasped, but I will empty myself and I will lower myself and humble myself even to the point of rejection. You know, the very first verse I read to you tonight to open up this discussion on Jesus was from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. It said that Jesus went outside the gate to suffer and his blood flowed. Do you know what the very next verse says? I'm going to show you. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Are you listening? Let us go outside the camp. Let us experience that rejection. Let us not seek the world's approval. Let us not make that our goal is to fit in. Let us go outside the camp to him and bear the reproach that he endured. We don't have a city here that we're after. We don't have an enduring city that's going to last. Not here. We're waiting for another city that's coming. I'm telling you, tonight, this celebration we have 
is as much an identification with the rejection of Jesus as anything else. It's to say when I eat this bread, I'm, I'm confessing that Jesus' body was broken and I want to go outside the camp where his body was broken and suffer with him because he is my king. And when I drink the drink, it's saying I recognize that Jesus was rejected and his blood flowed for my sake and I will go outside the camp and endure that reproach as he did because he is my king. <laughs> and I will tell you as well as you probably know, then some strange, I cannot figure out how way that is a celebration. There's joy in that. <laughs> There's joy in that. How can it be? And yet it's all through the pages of what I just read to you about Jesus the Messiah. We're going to talk about it next week on Sunday morning. I can't wait because all this talk isn't as much fun. But I'm going to tell you right up front, we're not going to get there, the exaltation, if we're not willing to be here tonight with the rejection. It's not going to happen. There's no shortcut. There's no skip. There's no fast forward. There is only an opportunity for you tonight to walk up here and to say, Jesus, I want to go outside the camp. I want to go outside the camp with you. My place is not in here. My place is out there with you. We recognize that our Messiah was sent and that he was rejected on our behalf and that he invites us. He invites us to join him where he's at. I referred to this already, so I'm just going to read these verses for you. Paul reflects them. It's one of the most succinct places we can find this put together, so we often read it from there. So it's in 1 Corinthians, although it's really a a recounting of what happened in the Gospels on the night that Jesus was betrayed. But Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So I'm here tonight delivering it to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you read that in those lines? What else do I mean? Or what else does he mean when he says you proclaim the Lord's death? What are you proclaiming? You are proclaiming the rejection of Jesus Christ. You are saying, I declare that my king was rejected and you are willingly participating. That's what this is. It's a union with him. It's an identification with him. It's saying, I'm with you, Jesus. And trust me when I say, if you don't really want to say that, then I don't think you should come up here tonight. And I don't mean that to be harsh. I don't mean that to point anybody out. I'm not suggesting anything, but I want you to be serious about what you're saying. It is an extreme privilege and a joy to identify with the king of the universe. But if it costs Jesus something... I submit to you that we should be signing up or being willing to say, whatever it costs me, I'm with you, Jesus.